called it, just like we do every week here on the Rec Poker Podcast. This is the Forums Edition, which means that I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And you can learn about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew here by going to rec.poker slash crew. Um, we are a community. It takes a village to put all this great stuff together. So I got to thank our friends at the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. And of course, the one and only website, Mark Prashan and uh, website AMP. So uh, every week here on the Rec Poker Forums edition, we are going to take a post from the forums and we talk about it here on the show. Um, but it's not uh, its not just me. I'm here with a panel of Recreational Wizards uh, panel. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter and 5x5 everywhere else. I'm John Somsky and I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me on Twitter at, at Taylor underscore Moss or in the Rec Poker home game as GopherboyTJM. You sure can, and you can find out about everybody here and more wonderful people just like them by going to rec.poker slash crew and checking out everybody on the Wrecking Crew and what they're doing to shine their light on the recreational poker world. So... It's Monday night as we're recording this, so you know we are playing in the home game, trying to steal each other's chips. You know we are going to steal a forum post from the Rec Poker forums that you can join for free. If you have an email address and a smile, go to rec.poker and sign up for a community account and go post a forum uh, post of yourself, of your own. And if you're a premium member like uh, my buddy Stu, who's in the chat here tonight, uh, you're welcome to come and join our conversation every week when we record these episodes. And if you have a post in the forum that you're interested in talking about as a premium member, just submit it here in the session. Come on up on the panel and talk about it here with the crew. This week, we are looking at a post by I'm a Luigi, who has posted on our forums before. He's also a fun follow on Twitter. I'm not sure we have his full name in our public database, so I don't want to out him. But look up I'm a Luigi and uh, follow along. You'll have some fun there. This post is called Exposed Card Plus a Tell Plus a Redeal at WPT Venetian. So this is a weird hand from the 5K WPT Venetian back in July. No, no, and I'm just going to read out what I'm Luigi is saying here to give everyone the context. Although I do encourage everyone, go check out the actual forum posts for real. We talk about it on the air, but uh, for most of these posts, you can get a lot more detail by going and checking out the forum post itself. It's a great way to share information and learn together. So no known pros at my table, he says, but it was a tough draw with all but one opponent playing solid aggressive poker. The main villain is an early 30s Asian player who has grown his chip stack since the start of play without having to show down very often. Villain is playing solid, aggressive poker without appearing to be getting too out of line. Hero is effective stack with 30k uh, starting stack and has been active early, but not significantly higher than an average VPIP. So the uh, blinds are 100-200 with a 200 ante. The middle position opens 3x to 600. The cutoff 3 bets to 1600 and uh, it's the main villain. Hero calls in the small blind with king of uh, hearts and jack of hearts, and we get a call from middle position. So maybe we should just, it's not really what we're talking about in the hand, but we always like talking about strategy hands here. Um, we get a 3x from the cutoff, sorry, we get a 3x from middle position. We get an active player, three betting from the cutoff. We've got king of hearts, jack of hearts in the small blind. It's 
eight big blinds to call. Well, seven, seven more big blinds to call. What uh, do we like in this spot? 30 big blinds effective. It's ours. Oh, well, we're, we're, um, and so we're all really deep. We're 150 big blinds effective. Oh, um, sorry. 30,000. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 30, so, and I think that that makes a very big difference to how I'm going to have, how we think about this spot. Um, is, I mean, we're in a, this is a marginal spot The cold call from the small blind to three bed, I think is something you, you've got to like kind of really be thinking about, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, and uh, something probably shouldn't have a, you know, it shouldn't be a, a steady practice. It should be something you're doing infrequently. Um, but this might, this might be a spot where we can, although I don't, I don't know if I love this hand as one of the ones that I would pick to do it with. Um, it's the kind of hand that can get us into some trouble post-flop. We're going to be out of position. Uh, we have all those reverse implied odds that can happen when a jack or a king hit. Um, so, um, but but we're deep enough. You know, if we hit a monster flush or we hit, you know, a straight with our king jack, and we're the, probably those are probably going to hit our opponents as well maybe we can get some massive amounts of chips. So it's, it's one that, you know, you got to be careful with, but I can, I can see the case because we're deep enough to do it. What others think? Yeah, I could see, I could see a fold for sure. Um, Cause it is one of those reverse dominated hands a lot. And when you do get paid, sorry, when you do get a good monster flop, it's usually pretty obvious to the table that there's something scary out there. Um, but I mean, it does make high flushes. It does make the nut straight. Um, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of playability. Uh, I don't think I'd be four betting it. So I don't think this is a good candidate for a cold four bet at this stack depth. And so I think the question is really between calling and folding. I think I'd want to know. So I'd want to know more than I do to, to call, I think in this spot. You mean about the opponents? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not, I, you're not even closing the action either. Yeah, John. I, I think I I pretty much agree with that. I tend to go by if you were to never call from the small <laughs> blind, it would not be a very big mistake because if you always just folded or raised appropriately, um, you're not losing much by calling there. I. In this exact situation, I could see myself calling with King Jack of Hearts, but I would also afterwards probably think to myself, you know, I probably should have just folded. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we got a few we got a few uh, thoughts on that, but the exciting, the interesting part of the hand comes a little later. So um, we do call, and we get the call from middle position, and the flop comes. Jack of spades, seven of spades, four of spades. So monotone flop, not the right tone. Um, but we do have top pair, second kicker, and uh, no real redraw. Um, it checks around, and I think that'll happen a lot, although I'm a little surprised we don't get a C-bet from the in-position Razor pre-flop. This is the kind of flop where they get to exert a lot of pressure. Most of the other players' ranges have to fold, and even though it's more likely that someone's got a couple spades because we're multi-way and the and the action went call call, um, 
at this, we're, we're so deep as Chris points out earlier that uh, I, I don't mind, I don't mind taking a stab on the flop here. So that's a little weird. So we can think about what that does to the villain's range uh, when they don't see bet the monotone flop here. Um, the turn comes the eight of clubs. So the flop is so the board is now jack of spades, seven of spades, four of spades, eight of clubs. So a straight does come on the board. And it, the hero leads 1,700 into a pot of 5,200. Uh, 5, um, it's a good board for us. And the other players have really weakened the range by not betting on the flop. What do people think about the lead here on the turn? I do think call flop lead turn is a line that more recreational players should take. Uh, is this a good candidate for it in people's minds? It's it's not terrible. I mean, with the monotone board out there or three to a flush, um, you can get some of the single cards of those suit to come along. Uh, so, I mean, you can get paid off by hands that are drawing Thin, but like when they hit, they know that they have one, so it's kind of easy for you to play as well. Uh, but at the same time, it's still a pretty scary board. We've got you know top pair, not top kicker. Um, what does our opponent's range look like, and how does it interact with this? I know it kind of weakens when they check the flop, but it's also pretty scary that our opponent could check a high portion of their range too they could check ace jack no uh what is the suit a spade heart whatever it is um like that's very reasonable to check in that spot so um it i don't know exactly where we're at here this feels like a lead to just kind of like find out where we're at and i'm not always a huge fan of that uh but i also don't think it's like that terrible in this spot either because you can get those single high card types of hands to come with so i don't know i i probably just check call here as well but i don't think this is terrible and uh well because the the flop checked through i think it's i think it's a i think it's a good time to lead with your top pair second kicker um typically if somebody you know especially the pre-flop aggressors well they're both pre-flop aggressors right we were the only one that wasn't um <laughs> neither one of the pre-flop aggressors chose to take a stab at this spot now middle position probably wasn't going to do it anyway because he's going to wait for the three better but the fact that the three better didn't do it <clears throat> kind of leaves it wide open and says okay let's get out there we've got top pair we've got second kicker um nobody seemed to be interested in the flush um, let's see if we can get some value, like Taylor said, from them, the single spades that might be out there. Somebody with an ace of spades or a king, or a king of spades is going to call. Um, chances are, um, you know, somebody could be sitting out there with eights, nines, tens. Well, eight well, it wouldn't be eights because eights was eight was on the on the turn, right? Right. But yep. somebody could be out there with one of those nine, ten type hands, maybe even sixes. Um, so those are hands that you could get some value from at this point in the game. And a turn, really, I, I say this a lot, is a place where people are still have hope. <laughs> we haven't got to the river yet, so people are, are going to call you more often on the turn than they are on the river. That's right. Yeah, and ma- we got to make them pay for that hope. We got to make them pay. Right. 
<laughs> I do think that that is a that there's an element of that. We're, we're not getting anywhere near the point of this post, which is so typical for us. But right. um, uh, there is an element of that that sort of if you are going to get value from all those hands, the only time to do it is before the river because they're simply not going to put chips in when the draw doesn't come in, whether it's a straight a spade draw or a straight draw here. Um, so if if it's worth getting value from that part of the range, it has to happen on the turn. Um, and then the question is, is it worth it when the rest of the range is stuff that crushes you um, in the long run? So that, that, that's one good question. Chris? The other question, I, I'm just thinking about this, and it might absolutely, but like this feels like a board that as the big blind after a check around, this feels like a board where we may want to, if we do lead, lead larger. Yeah. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Like I, I'm thinking about like, I would like, this is about a third pot bet. I'd, I'd like to make it a little bit, um, almost like a, like a, you know, 60% pot bet, kind of like a pretty big one. Um, especially because we're so deep. Um, and I want to do this also with, even if I flop a flush too, like I want to, um, I don't know. What do you think of that? I yeah, like that. I, yeah, me too. Me too. With, with the entire range that we're choosing to make this action, do it with a larger bet sizing. I, I think that makes sense. Cause we're not, we're, we're representing a, a range of very strong draws and very strong hands because Jack King is probably near the bottom of our actual betting range here right 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 yeah, yeah. i think that's really the fact really that we were in a small blind we're going to check 100 percent of the time yeah on the flop no matter what we have yep and so all of a sudden now everybody checked so now we have an opportunity to actually get out there so another thing about a larger bet like that it makes a um a, a raise that much more significant to the other players so if someone wanted felt like they wanted to raise you with their ace of spades well now it's going to cost them that much more and it, it might deter them from doing that mm -hmm. and especially because the action that we're taking like we can't disguise the strength of our action by doing it with a smaller bet size we just shouldn't be taking a betting line here with the kind of hands that that we that aren't strong enough to use a bigger bet size i think so i, I think that's interesting um, I want to go down one more little rabbit hole that Rob just brought up before we actually get to the part of the hand that's interesting to our original poster. Um, we always talk about how the out of position player is going to check 100% of their range, right? And so that they haven't really weakened their range by checking because they're going to do that all the time, that they never have a donkey range there. Why is checking in the dark such a fishy thing to do then? I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but why isn't, isn't it? effectively what you're doing anyway but you also get to now project this like fishy image i i'm seriously considering going down to wsop and just checking in the dark for the entire time that i'm down there because i'm going to be checking almost all the time anyway why not make them think that i'm like this really fishy player seriously john you're the only one who's not muted right now is uh is there ever a situation where you wouldn't want to do that i, I mean maybe with some holdings Okay, so if you're going to do that with some holdings, right, then you can never do it. So right? then you either, if you're going to do that 100% of the time, 
check in the dark till the cows come home. But if you have hands or things that you don't do that with, then you're basically advertising, I want to keep my options open this very rare time. So then do you get enough from having the donk in your range to make up for that? Or is it like, do you know what I mean? Or can you well, just... Yeah. So the thing is, is that that what you're doing there is only going to fool people for like 20 minutes. <laughs> After that, most people, they will realize that they're actually a decent player and they just have this one weird quirk. Or in your case, it will confirm that, yes, you don't know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> and they'll just it'll play into that. So um, I think you're telegraphing your actual play in this particular uh, case. Wise. And for other people, uh, it's not going to be a ruse that is <laughs> left very long. All right. Well, everybody that's enjoying this. Uh, oh, yeah, Rob, you guys have something to say? I know what you're, I know what you're saying, Jim, because I see people doing this, you know, at the live tables at the small stake tournaments that I play. <laughs> you know, I check it out. Yeah. It's like, okay, big deal. I mean, what, you know, who cares? <laughs> it, it's it's like, it's like they're trying to get reactions out of people at the table or make it seem like they're really weak when in actuality they actually have a hand. And they don't do it every single time. So, you know, they're going to check mm. 100% of the time. But when they say, I'm going to check in the dark, nine out of 10 times, they have a real hand. Oh, all right. Interesting. So it's for... For those of you paying attention, uh, pay attention to those people that say, I check in the dark, and nine times out of ten, they're not going to have junk. I'm, I'm heading out uh, this Friday, well well before this podcast actually airs, but I'm going to go play some cash at uh, the Playground Casino. And I think just for fun, I'm going to check in the I'm going to check in the dark for the entire time that I'm there. And I want to see how people respond to that. And I, maybe I won't wear any rec poker gear or anything. So I won't, you know, d- demean the brand, but I'll just go there with my Steelers hat and be one of them yinzers uh, checking in the dark. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder if uh, Jonathan Little has anything to say about that. Let's, let's let him out of the closet and see what he says. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess, and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. But now back in the dungeon. Back in the dungeon, Jonathan. All right, there he goes. He's very accommodating. Um, yes, that, I think that might be the first time we've actually run the Jonathan Little ad before we get to the point of the post. Well done, everybody. I'll take some major credit for that last rabbit hole. All right. So meanwhile, back in the world of I'm a Luigi, who posted the actual hand that we're talking about here, um, just bring you back up to speed. We're deep stacked. We've got top pair second kicker. Um, the board is Jack of spades, seven of spades, four of spades, eight, uh, uh, eight rainbow. We lead the villain calls in the cutoff after middle position folds. Now I'm not sure exactly how this happens, but the next thing that happens is that a nine gets exposed as though it was the river. 
and we get a reaction from the villain. So a nine gets exposed, they realize there's an error, they re-deal the river, and this time it's an eight. So the board would have been Jack seven, four, eight, nine, but instead it's Jack seven, four, eight, eight. The villain lets out an audible sigh and looks annoyed. It seems authentic and just his natural reaction to the situation. Um, that's when the nine gets reshuffled in. So it feels like I'm Luigi is saying that he liked that nine. Is that the way that you guys are reading this as well? When he realizes the nine has to get shuffled back into the deck, it's like the nine helped him and he's annoyed that it doesn't get to stick around. Yeah, he's that's how I'm playing. But at the same time, if for this to happen, that means a villain hadn't quite called yet. So he might just be annoyed that the dealer didn't mm-hmm. let him complete his action, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to just being mad that it was a nine that had to be shuffled back in. That's you know true. I mean? The rank of the card isn't the only thing that he could be reacting to. That's a right. Good. Based on the you know chain of events here, the only way that could have happened is if the villain hadn't called yet when the dealer performed that action. Hmm. The, the only thing you have to watch out for here is <clears throat> if the villain was aware of that he was being watched, um, if he was cognizant of that, then this could be acting. If you, In general, if you're looking for tells, if a player is doing something and you don't think they were aware that they were being watched, then whatever they were doing is probably straightforward and indicative of what's really going on. With this, I'd have to be pretty sure that they didn't do that. You'd have to know the pl- a little bit more about the player. Are they the type of player who does that type of thing? I would never make that gasp myself. Right. Um, I mean, I just, I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't do anything. And so if I was, it would probably be a reverse tell, if anything. So I'd be a little bit worried about that. And I'd have to be in the situation to see if I trusted that read. I mean, and from what I'm a Luigi said, in his opinion, that is a, a trustworthy read. Yep. Yeah, because you can you can act all you want, but those like surprise reactions, uh, you can't script those. Like that is the one true thing. So like if it was just all of a sudden boom, like it it's really hard to like actively act and make that like I'm upset on something that just happened. Like if you're you're trying to pretend something, like I think it was like a Sherlock Holmes movie where it was like you know you want to find out the person who's pretending to be someone else have some big surprise that happens in the room and he's going to keep pretending while everyone else makes some sort of different reaction and it 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 kind of fits like that same concept you can't put a surprise out there and just have someone instantly react to it so it does make it at least to me feel plausible that he is upset about this nine coming out Right on. So uh, as it's played, the so the final board is Jack seven four eight eight, and we check, and the villain bets five thousand into a pot of eighty six hundred. So roughly, I don't know, about two thirds or so, and uh, 
it's it's on us it's on us now so how how are we analyzing their play the information available to us what's the little voice in the back of our head telling us to do here and, and what should we be listening to well so from like i think there's two things right like what would we do if there wasn't all this you know mm-hmm. rigmarole the nine and the, the the eight coming and whatever and i think for me like i don't know if everyone else agrees but this is just sort of a pretty easy call like i think we've got um there are a number of bluffs that are still out there um it's not that big of a bet it's not that big of much of our stack um i think there's a lot of hands that we still beat uh at this point um so i i'm probably calling this it's not my i mean i'm 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 probably losing a decent amount of the time but it's it's not that big and i think i think it's it's pretty i think folding is the next best option i think it's pretty suicidal to raise this mm. But then, given the action here, if we really believe that tell, and this is where you have to like really like, you know, tells you should only use when. But but if we really believe this tell, I think we have to raise this. Like, I I don't see how we're behind uh, at this point. Well, there is a, there is one hand that makes sense with that exact action, and that'd be eight ten. Yeah. Right, because now they've got a, a, a trip eights. Um, instead, they would have had the straight. Because so the, the reaction happened between the nine getting reshuffled and the eight coming back up. So we don't know that he's upset that an eight's there. We just know that he also liked nine essentially. Yeah. Naked tens. Yeah, naked tens. Mm-hmm. I think there's three hands: eight, ten, uh, eight, nine. And ten ten. Yep. And I then think of pocket course, nines too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then which of those? And then what is he value betting, and what is he bluffing with when he bets two thirds or so into us on the river here with those combos in mind? I doubt he's doing that with pocket tens. Oh, looks up. Why not? Well, what's his? Now. Yeah, well, he, what's his? He, what's his value target? It's well, yeah, it's not necessarily a, a value target. He's probably just betting because he feels that we were on a flush draw, and that's why we bet out. Because we right. never showed any strength at all in this in this pot, and now we checked on the river when the board paired. So this this could also. If the reaction was genuine, this could easily be entitlement tilt. You know, I hit my gin card, and mm-hmm. now they're taking it away from me. Well, by golly, I've earned this pot. I deserve it. Therefore, you, I am going to make you fold. Um, so it, it's conceivable that they could do this with just, you know, a naked 10, ace 10 even. Um, not for value, but just because... They want to win the pot that they already think of as their own. Mm. I also think it's crazy that Chris thinks we should raise this. With the tell. But even even with the tell, don't we still just have like a bluff catcher? Wouldn't we rather just catch the bluff? What are we getting them to fold that we beat 
or that beats us or inversely, what is he going to call with that? I think we can we maybe beat? still get called by pocket tens and pocket nines. Maybe Especially, worse. Jack. So, and that's, and that is why I would, I would raise, but this is, Oh, this is a purely exploitive live tell. If I really <laughs> trust this read, I'm targeting pocket tens and pocket nines and I am raising really small. And it's because you have essentially lopped off the top of his range at this point, right? Like that. Correct. Yes. So there's just and not as many I'm, combos. I'm reading, I'm reading this tell as saying the nine was important to me. Yes. So that if, if I really believe that, then th- those are the, those are the hands. I, because I think we're going to lose like queen 10 is going to fold to our raise, you know, all, all the, all the other ones where a nine was really helpful are going to fold, but but I don't know. I, I could be crazy. Hmm. It feels crazy to me. Yeah. I would just call. Like if, if you have that read, like to me, I'm just going to call there, take my small, small win. It's still a decent sized win yep. um, and move on. Hmm. Just getting myself into trouble where he's got eight, nine and <laughs> both of these river cards just helped him. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, I think you're probably right. I think like, uh, when I see the, this kind of thing, it's like, how much do I actually act on it? And how much do I just play the solid poker that I would have played if, if this none of this ever happened? Because I would never raise this ever in any universe without this action. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part of it. Because what what the act, if, if we take the action at its word, if we believe that it's genuine, then I think it does remove a lot of the value hands that we're worried about making this bet. So it certainly certainly makes me feel like we should be calling more comfortably. And then the real question is of those remaining combos, which one, how many are going to respond to the to the raise versus because again, if there's if we're going to get called by some of the hands that we beat and there's just not that many hands that beat us and they're going to fold all the rest anyway, then it doesn't like that might that math might be closer than we're kind of giving it credit for because we've already won against all the hands that are going to fold, um, so we don't even really have to factor them in at this point. And if we have eliminated enough of those value hands, that tens and nines exactly are going to be enough when when he does call. Then uh, I mean it's a math problem. I, I like that approach. I still think that his reaction may not necessarily have been because it was a nine, mm. but just because the dealer acted out of turn. Yep. And you know how people get frustrated with dealers. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever noticed that poker table, but there's a lot of idiots out there that get really frustrated with dealers. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It could have, there's a couple of ways that he could have reacted or reasons why he reacted the way he did. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think I definitely, I'm with Chris, I definitely call there. Um, I feel much more confident about having a top pair hand. Uh, but I think he is going to have he is gonna have some of those other combos sometimes. And yeah, I don't know. Wait, if, if you're with Chris, you're Yeah, raising. I think you're with Taylor. 
Oh, I, well, you, you said, <laughs> I don't know if I want to be on the record in that case. Say the words. Say the words. Taylor was right. I'm uh, with Taylor. I <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do feel like um, I'd have to. I, I don't like to do live math on the show. We don't do any live math on the air. Um, but I, I do wonder how many of those I'd like to do some combo counting uh, when I have more time and see. Because I do think there is a value target there, but it's just really, really small. So we'd have to see, have we eliminated enough of that other part of the range to make that small value target worth it or not? That would be an interesting question. You know, I think if you look right now, Taylor's head actually is bigger than the door behind him. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that's right. I guess I was forced to share his perspective. There we go. Yeah. Forced perspective. Actually, that's here. Nice, nice. All right, gang. Well, you know, when we're all agreeing with Taylor, it's time to pack it in. Um, it's been another fun week on the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'd like to thank I'm Luigi for putting that fun question out there. And uh, Chris, Rob, Taylor, and John. Uh, of course, Website Amp and Running Aces, Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. So, you know,